0: This is hell Manufacturing dissent Since 1996 This is hell You may remember us here on This is Hell Talking to guests about the Panama Papers back in 2016 Papers which revealed how a single legal firm Helped the rich and politically powerful Hide their wealth overseas to avoid paying taxes at home And home was often where uh, people were suffering from a lack of revenue, which leads to a lack of social services, and for the poor, an abundance of suffering. Then there were the Paradise Papers that showed how billions in taxes were avoided by corporations like the manufacturer of Botox and the German financial services company Allianz, Apple, Facebook, McDonald's, Nike, Siemens, the Walt Disney Company, Twitter, Uber, Walmart, and Yahoo, all of which hid their money in tax havens overseas Next was the FinCEN files Which we covered with one of today's guests, colleagues FinCEN included documents Detailing how J.P. Morgan, HSBC Standard Chartered Bank, Deutsche Bank And the Bank of New York Mellon Were quote Moving staggering sums of illicit cash For shadowy characters and criminal networks That have spread chaos and undermined democracy Around the world Then this past Sunday The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists Released yet another set of documents the pandora papers the biggest trove yet of documents on the illicit and unfair global financial system that is gamed by the wealthy and political politically powerful many of whom have campaigned on cracking down on the very tax havens from which they benefit in a few minutes we'll take a deep dive into what seems like an bottomless ocean of corruption when we have the return of author and pulitzer sharing journalist Michael W. Hudson Senior editor at the International Consortium Of Investigative Journalists Which this past weekend broke the Pandora Papers story in a collaboration With the Washington Post and the Guardian As well as many other Media outlets, Mike has appeared On This Is How several times In the past, going back to the Most recently, he was on back in May of 2016 to discuss ICIJ's report on the Panama Papers explaining the origins of that earlier financial data leak. Mike is the author of The Monster, How a Gang of Predatory Lenders and Wall Street Bankers Fleeced America and Spawned a Global Crisis. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Michael W. Hudson. And our interview from 2012 with Mike about The Monster That's going to be our featured interview this week on our Patreon podcast Friday. I'll be telling you more about that in a little bit. And thanks to listener Colin S., who wished me a happy birthday on Sunday by posting, Happy birthday, Chuck. Were the Pandora Papers a birthday present to you? Yes. Yes, they were, Colin. My birthday wish came true this year, and I didn't even have to blow out a candle i'm your bitter blind broke Gaptooth radio show podcast live streaming host chuck mertz producing is richard norwood richard anything new about you
1: um i got to go on a little hike on sunday
0: No, where'd you go indiana dunes No, did
1: you <laughs> yeah it was pretty nice um <laughs> i always get indiana
0: dunes confused with indiana beach the amusement park so when people tell me they went to indiana dunes i always forget it's an actual geographical place and i think of a
1: crappy kids' amusement park. <laughs> no, it was, it was really nice. The uh, There was actually a really nice wooded area right by it, so that was my favorite part. That's, I mean, the beach is super cool, too, and you get a whole new perspective of the lake and Chicago from that area. But... And
0: urban decay, because you're here, <laughs> <near> Gary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Could you see the nuclear reactors from where you were?
1: No, it's pretty overcast and cloudy. Rain, <laughs> so you didn't
0: so. have to see the nuclear reactor? That's really nice. <laughs> Those cooling towers really can put a dampening Situation on your vacation Into nature's wonderland exactly. Does anyone know how to become Unexhausted? If you do Email me at chuck at Because I think I've been Burning the candle at both ends And it's catching up with me It's likely why I wasn't able to do the show All of last week because my stomach flare-ups seem to be related to stress Which is freaking great news Because I'm always under putting myself under stress So if any of you know how to get Unexhausted, and I do not mean If you know how to relax, I can relax. I know how to do that. What I'm talking about is this constant feeling of being drained, no matter if it's after a good night's sleep or in the middle of the afternoon, you just feel you all completely used up. That feeling where you've been working from the early morning hours until late at night, and still you feel as though you got nothing accomplished because in the end, after all that work, still, this is... Hell. So, listeners, if you have any secrets on how to become unexhausted, oh, and if you tell me to exercise, I'm going to kill myself. Email me at, at hell.com because I could use your advice. But more importantly than any of that, Richard, what is this week's question from hell for our listening
1: audience? I was going to say pacing, Chuck.
0: (laughs) I do a lot of pacing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This week's uh, question from hell is, what is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland?
0: What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? And I not only pace all the time, but my downstairs neighbors, they really complain about it quite a lot because our floors squeak. And so, yeah, I pace a lot. So again, this week's question Mel, is, what is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? The biggest landowner in the world... The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our merchandise, our trucker's cap, our winter beanie, our t-shirts, our tote bags, our coffee mugs, our flash drive guide to the 21st century, including dozens of interviews for the first, from the first 20 years of this here century. You can find all that stuff right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on sport. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio, or you can direct message it to us via Twitter at thisishellradio, or you can email it to us at chuckatthisishell.com, but we must have your answer. By the end of today's show, when we are announcing this week's winner, following Jeff Dorton in the moment of truth, during this week's moment, Jeff identifies an heinous example of missing white woman syndrome derangement syndrome. Richard will have more of your answers to this week's question mail following our conversation with Mike Hudson on the Pandora Papers. After that feeling of uh, burning a candle at both ends, working hard from morning to night, yet in the end you feel like you've accomplished absolutely nothing. After all of that, we got an email that made me feel like we actually have accomplished something. We've received a few such messages from listeners since the pandemic began And every time we do, I get this overwhelming sensation That we have maybe made some sort of positive societal contribution Go figure Gregory writes to us saying Just a short note to say that you and Jeffy and the show Have helped me get through the past 18 months emotionally and mentally You make a difference Love, Gregory P.S. I'm the listener who won the question from hell in early September when the question was, what are you having second thoughts about? Gregory's answer was, I'm having second thoughts about the House on the Rock, which still makes me giggle. And if you're not here from Chicago or the Wisconsin area, the Midwest, you might not know what the House on the Rock is. The reason I found that to be so perfect, such a great answer is because I continuously have second thoughts about going to the house on the rock since my girlfriend and I got our first car like 15 years ago. Look it up online, the house on the rock. It appears to be kind of interesting, but mostly a tourist trap. And you get this feeling that if you were there, it would look a lot more, let's say, touristy in person than it does online. Also contributing to those second thoughts is that it's still like three and a half hours away by car. Luckily, a very good friend of mine lives near the House on the Rock and we could stay with him and his family. However, when I told him years ago we were thinking on visiting so we could check out the House on the Rock, my friend replied, are you freaking serious? You wanna go to the House on the Rock? And my second thoughts on the House on the Rock continue to this day. Gregory, thanks for the kind words about how we've helped you out emotionally and mentally over the past 18 months. And listeners, thanks to all of you for helping me out in a similar fashion. Without this show and your support, I would have lost it more than I already have. Coming up, the latest treasure trove of leaked documents revealing where the world's most wealthy and powerful hide their money from taxation not only will Richard have more of your answers to this week's question from hell, we'll also be telling you what's happening on this week's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash Hell. Jeff will delivering, be delivering his moment of truth, and we'll find out who is on next week's show. And you can learn how to become a board operator here on This Is Hell. We'll tell you how to do that later on as well. Your eyewitness to grief, this Is hell The rich and politically powerful Have created a global finance system That allows them to hide their vast amounts of wealth All over the world As offshore assets and secretive tax shelters Who knows Maybe you already knew that From other revelations made by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists over the past few years, including the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, and the FinCEN files, files that revealed the major global banks are involved in money laundering of illicit profits, who knows, you may be already understood or already took for granted what the Pandora Papers reveal. But what is being revealed? In the latest, biggest document reveal yet, the Panama Papers is, it turns out populists around the world campaigning against tax havens were actually using tax havens themselves. And when it comes to shutting down these tax havens, you'll never guess where they pop back up again here to help us have a better understanding of the Panama I'm sorry, the Pandora papers returning to This is How author and Pulitzer-sharing journalist Michael W. Hudson, senior editor of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, which we'll be referring to as ICIJ throughout today's conversation, which this past weekend broke the Pandora Papers story in a collaboration with numerous media outlets including the Washington Post and the Guardian. Welcome back to This is How, Mike. Hey, Chuck. How are you doing? Good. It's great to hear hear your voice again, sir. Mike has appeared on This Is Hell several, several times in the past, going back to the aughts. Most recently, he was on back in May of 2016 to discuss ICIJ's report on the Panama Papers, which you can find at our website, thisishell.com. When you click on uh, uh, What was it again? Uh, search. You got to just search on the name. Um, so, uh, and Mike is the author of the monster: How a gang of predatory lenders and Wall Street bankers fleeced America and spawned a global crisis. And we're going to be playing that interview on Patreon at patreon.com/slash. This is hell. We're going to be playing our interview with Mike when we discussed the monster way back in 2012. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at Michael W. Hudson. So, Mike, why now? All of these revelations: Panama, Paradise, FinCEN, and now Pandora have occurred in the last five years. So why now? Is there some uprising within the legal and financial services industry, which facilitate offshore assets, shell companies, and tax havens, rising up
2: against the unfairness and inequality of their industries? What, why now? Uh, you know th- th- that that's a good question, Chuck, but probably not one I can answer. I just know that there that there's definitely a continuing uh, outrage, concern, fear around the world about. Uh, inequality and about the sense that that political and economic elites are playing by a different set of rules and so here we have uh you know as exposed in the Panama papers but now once again in the pa- Pandora papers we have uh this global industry that helps uh the rich and powerful make their own essentially make their own rules you know in many cases substituting the laws for another country a country that you've never maybe never even set foot in uh, for the laws of your country when it comes to how much you pay in taxes, what you do with your money, and and that kind of thing.
0: Do you think there might be any fear at all within the financial services or legal industries that facilitate these kind of tax havens that this could endanger their industries if these revelations continue and that they're concerned about this?
2: Well... Uh- I think there's there's probably definitely fear. There's lots of concern, and you know, one of the things we see in um, uh, the Pandora Papers is going back a few years, people going crazy within the industry about the Panama Papers and saying, "Oh my God, we you know, let's stop uh, digitizing all our paper records. Let's not do that because it could be another you know, could we could end up with with you know another another Panama Papers like thing." But the other thing that's really interesting that we see in the Pandora Papers. Is that, you know, when one sort of offshore provider or one offshore jurisdiction comes under pressure because of a leak or because of some some government action, some you know international action, we're going to put you on a blacklist, that kind of thing. Uh, the other providers and other jurisdictions use that as a marketing opportunity. So they say, "Well, you, you know, Panama Papers, you got to get away from this law firm that, that's at the heart of the Panama Papers, Mossack Fonseca. We'll take you. Come to us. We're, you know, we're much safer. We we won't let your data get, you know, get taken, or don't go to Panama. You got to move your offshore company out of Panama. You know, come to come to Belize. Come, you know, and oh yeah." come to South Dakota, we we can talk more about that later. You know, uh, South Dakota has sort of uh, set itself, set itself up as sort of a Caymans on the Great Plains uh, of America. So I think there's fear, there's concern, but it's also, you know, the the history of of offshore and the fight to rein it in or or even end it has been uh, certain jurisdictions, certain providers get in trouble and then the system evolves, the system morphs, the system takes advantage of that and just continues. And it's a little bit of a whack-a-mole. There are some jurisdictions that have, that have, that have uh, changed their laws under pressure from, from the big countries around the world, uh, but other jurisdictions pop up or other existing jurisdictions just sort of, you know, expand their market share when one goes down. So will they always be able to find a place where they can
0: have tax havens, have tax shelters, and keep their money uh, private and secret from the public?
2: That's a good question. Uh, I don't know about always. Uh, <laughs> it's you know to to change this is going to be a long fight. There's a there's a quote. I, I think it was from a like a former you know Chicago political wise wise person who said you know. Uh, uh, you know, a mere spasms of reform didn't do anybody any good, never did anyone any good. Right. Uh, so it, it takes, you know, whenever there's a scandal, whenever, you know, uh, uh, there's a leak, whenever there's a big investigation, something gets revealed about offshore, there's lots of hand wringing and there's lots of promises made and there are some reforms laws are changed, uh, prom- you know, but the truth is, is that the, that, uh, it's going to take really, you know, it's a global system. It's well entrenched. It's powerful. It has powerful allies, powerful, you know, many, as we show in the in uh, Pandora Papers, there's lots of politicians who are using the system, the, the very people who could, you know, who could bring an end to the offshore system and are instead benefiting from it, stashing assets and com- covert companies and trust while their governments do little to slow this global stream of illicit money that that really enriches criminals and it impoverishes nations so this, story, um, this the, uh, just real quick I, I'm, I'm sorry go ahead no no i'm just gonna say so it, it's gonna be it, it's gonna take dramatic action and it's gonna take you know people have to be if you really want change you have to be in it for the long haul you can't just announce some changes and say everything's better now you gotta you know you you, you really gotta dig deep and you gotta stay with it so is that to say that it's beyond reform I, I don't think it is. I mean, and, and there are certain things. I mean, one of the one of the most interesting things is, is that you know the United States has a really uh, distinctive position in the global financial system. The U.S. dollar is essentially the de facto currency of the world. Uh, uh, it's easier to you know it's easier to do transactions around the world in U.S. dollars, and and you know. Actually, for money launderers, they love the U.S. dollar because if you can change a local currency or you know your your country's one country's currency into dollars, that's actually part of the money laundering process. The the, the money is a bit cleaner if it's now in dollars and it can move around the world. But what's interesting is is that if you want to move dollars around the world, you can't just send do, you know you can't you know do a transaction, move stuff from a bank account in Lebanon to a bank account in Belgium directly technically all those transactions have to go through a new york banking operation of a big global bank uh they get a special license from the u.s treasury department so it has to go through new york you know so it would go from lebanon to new york to belgium right so what that does is 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 is, so, so, and that's that's the vast majority because of the U.S. dollar's you know dominance. That that means that the vast majority of international transactions are coming right through New York, and that the biggest banks in the world that have operations there, uh, you know, have eyeballs on that. And we saw with our previous investigation, the FinCEN files, that uh, J.P. Morgan, HSBC, and other banks with big operations in, in you know and in, in, in Lower Manhattan, basically. Um, you know they were turning a blind eye to lots of lots of dirty transactions lots of really suspect transactions you know a shell company and cyprus moving a hundred million dollars to another shell company in belize that kind of thing and so there's really a choke point there so a lot of the money not all of it but a lot of the dirty money and not, not everything that's going through New York, of course is dirty money but a lot but 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 if most I, my, my sense is, is that probably most of the dirty money in the world is going right through these big banks in New York. So if they did a better job of vetting you know, uh, who was moving money, where the money was going, and really just saying no, if, if the transaction is, is sort of clearly suspect and there's no uh, transparency on who is actually sending the money and who is actually receiving the money, that could be if, if, if the US government truly cracked down on these folks and force them to truly do do real due diligence, real anti-money laundering checks on some of these bigger transactions, that would be a huge difference, a huge... So so there is this, this interesting choke point, which it wouldn't be the only solution, but it could be a big part of the solution uh, if uh, the US government got truly serious about taking on these big banks instead of sort of giving them, you know, they, they fine some of the big banks for doing this, for moving dirty money and violating anti-money laundering uh, standards. But the fines are, are basically like a, like a parking ticket, a cost of doing business. Uh, and, and uh, there have also been threats that we're going to criminally prosecute you. There have been some uh, what they call deferred criminal prosecutions, uh, deferred, deferred prosecution agreements, but, you know, the banks have kind of just They've kind of just sort of yawned about those and said, "Oh yeah, yeah," and then they just sort of move on and continue to do business uh, as the FinCEN file showed, us, pretty much as, as as usual.
0: So until they are held criminally responsible, do you think this kind of unfair financial system will continue?
3: Um,
2: that 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 seems that seems very likely. Yes, and, and that, again, that's not the only solution, but it could be a big part of any sort of. Package of solutions worldwide, and as long as the dollar is dominant, will the
0: financial system stay unfair? Um,
2: well, you know, I think it's a, du- a it's a double edged sword because because of the dominance of the U.S. dollar, there is the potential to actually make a big dent in and what's happening. Uh, but yes, because but, but on the other hand, because of the U.S. dollar and the fact that the U.S. has not uh, crack down on this in a way that that has brought real change, then you know that 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 uh, uh, contributes to the problem. Right. Uh, so this
0: story broke on Sunday on my birthday. So happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. <laughs> and Mike, I was very uh, surprised there was no coverage in Monday's edition, a print edition of the New York Times. It wasn't until Tuesday that it made page eight of section A without any mention on the front page. They actually had more column inches, Mike, dedicated to a story. On stem cells and hair loss, Mike. To you, (laughs) why are the Pandora Papers so significant? What makes this leak so important? Even more important than the earlier leaks when it comes to Panama, Paradise, or FinCEN.
2: Well, partly it's just because this is a it's a bigger, more global, broader, deeper leak of records. Uh, It's it's the most information if you go by terabytes. It's two two. 2.94 2.94 terabytes, which, which you know, uh, some people understand what that means, but just let's say it, that's a lot. And, you know, the, the, the Panama Papers came from one law firm, Mossack Fonseca, which did a lot of business around the world, there were a lot of records, there was a lot of really interesting stuff in there. But this uh, leak, the Pandora Papers, actually comes from 14 offshore service providers from the South China Sea uh, to to the Persian Gulf uh, to to the Caribbean, uh, you know. So these are providers all around the country, and they really give you insight into what's what's going on in the world. And and the other thing is is that. Um, and, and, and much more data we've been able to get on the number of, of the owner, the real owners behind offshore companies. Uh, we've got we, we, we were able to document at least twenty nine thousand owners of offshore companies around the world through the Pandora Papers. And that's more than more than twice what we had in the Panama Papers. And then the other thing is there's just many more journalists, the 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 uh, uh, Panama Papers had about 375 journalists involved. The Pandora Papers has more than 600 journalists from 150 news outlets uh, in in uh, uh, I think 117 countries. So when you have that many news organizations and we're talking about some really big ones like the Guardian and the BBC and the Washington Post is a partner here in the US, uh, it's really hard for policymakers to Turn a blind eye. So there's already some some legislation uh, that 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 we've been told is going to be introduced in Congress uh, on Friday that will will address a lot of the lot of the issues that we've been raising about transparency and about money laundering and around the world.
0: When we spoke in 2016, the identity of the person who leaked the Panama Papers. Was still unknown, and thus their motivations were uncertain. Is there a similar case with whoever leaked the documents in the Pandora Papers? Is it an anonymous leaker or
2: leakers with unspecified motivations? Again, well, you know, the one thing about the the the, the Panama Papers is eventually we did get we did get the motivations of the leaker uh, because although the leaker remains anonymous and will always remain anonymous because we protect our sources and our our partners protect protect their sources. Um, you know the the, the Panama Papers uh, uh, leaker, who was known as John, you know, called himself John Doe, uh, wrote, a, <laughs> wrote a wrote a uh, an essay which was published, which said basically, I you know, I had evidence of rampant financial crime around the world, and I believed it was important to our to our world and to our democracies and to you know to to, to humanity to put this out. So with with the Pen, Pandora papers uh leak leaker or leakers um we're, we're not reporting on who they are we're not reporting on their motivations you know because ultimately like you know sometimes it's interesting to know what the leakers motivations are but ultimately the question is well what's in the data i mean we don't you know uh you know we can ver- we we've gone through the data thoroughly we've verified that it that it's you know gone through the, the r- records verified that they're uh, legitimate that they're real we've compared you know uh, information in the public record to information that's in those documents to help verify the documents substantiate them uh so it, you know what the leaker's intent was we i mean my assumption is and no one has told me this with an ICJ and is that that it's it's a similar thing that that they feel like there there's misconduct going on around the world and that it needs to be exposed um but but ultimately the the, the leaker's motivations are i think are, are are not as important as what's in the data and what it, what it says yeah that's a really good point that
0: the motivations and their intent is not as important as the evidence itself, and it can actually even distract you from looking at the evidence. Edward Snowden commented on social media that the humorous side of this very serious story when it comes to the Pandora Papers is that even after two apocalyptic offshore finance law firm leaks, and he's just talking about Panama and Pandora here, those industries are still complaining. Are compiling vast databases of ruin and still secure them with a Post-it note marked "Do Not Leak." Hats off to the source. <laughs> to you, what explains the seeming lack of security around these secret documents, or are they more secure than Edward Snowden is l- leading us to believe?
2: You know, I, th- that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, once again, <laughs> there are many questions that I won't be able to answer. Be- some because I I can't because of confidentiality, but then there's some that I can't simply because. I don't know. So this is one of those I don't I'm sorry Chuck I don't know answers. Uh, I could I could speculate but maybe I shouldn't cuz I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's good because I hate when I'm watching CNN and all it is is 75
0: minutes of speculation. So ICIJ states the Pandora papers uh, are expected to yield new revolution new revelations for years to come. As Bloomberg Tax reported back in May of this year, as an outcome of the Panama papers, Mossack Fonseca announced its closure in 2018. Over a billion dollars has been recovered. In numerous countries, have launched their own investigations into the scandal. Many of the individuals exposed of wrongdoing have been held to account, and in many cases, forced to resign from their various posts. Did the Panama Papers do? I mean, sorry, do the Panama Papers still yield new revelations to this day, or have they been exhausted by now as a source?
2: There are still some some revelations that that, that have come out in the last year or two through the Panama Papers. But I mean, the main thing, the legacy of the Panama Papers now is just that there continues to be actions that governments are taking. And, you know, uh, this this spring was the fifth anniversary of the Panama Papers. And we did a fifth anniversary story, which just talked about uh, how there's governments are continuing to, you know, uh, uh, recover tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in unpaid taxes. Uh, there's still legal proceedings going on involving a lot of the, a lot of the key players there. Uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, the thing about the Panama Papers it really has been kept alive in, in, in popular culture. It was on, you know, it was like there, there was a Netflix movie with, with Meryl Streep, uh, The Laundromat uh about you know about the based on the panama papers you know it was on the panama papers it was on quiz shows like jeopardy and wait wait don't tell me and of course my favorite legacy of the of the panama papers was the was, was some of the, the cartoons there was a new yorker cartoon which showed a businessman looking out the window of his office with his young heir at his side surveying the smokestacks and office towers of the empires and saying son someday Someday soon, this will all be exposed in the Panama Papers. <laughs> so, and, and, then, and then, my second favorite was that the, there was a Sunday edition of D- Doonesbury, and it showed a high-ranking fish, you know, official uh, from the fictitious nation of Berserkistan you know, learning from Uncle Duke, you know, <laughs> the Hunter Thompson character, that that he'd been exposed in the Panama Papers as having salted away one point eight billion dollars <laughs> and he says oh so that's where i put it get the, get the account numbers let's go get it you know so um so so there has been that that sort of uh, legacy and you know it's it's early on of course with uh the pandora papers we're just uh you know what three four days in and um we're starting to see stuff so we've seen uh, uh more than a dozen countries around the world who are who are uh who have promised uh who started investigations, promised investigations, taking action. You know, so you've gotten uh you know impact already in India, Spain, Pakistan, Ireland, Mexico, Germany, uh, uh Bulgaria, Australia, Brazil, Sri Lanka, uh, and, pa- and Panama, <laughs> once again, they've all vowed to take action. And and of course, you know, what what happens with that action remains to be seen. Uh, there's this new congressional legislation that that will will make a difference uh that it could make a difference so it's it you know but but the key is 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 icaj and our partners uh are you know really gonna gonna keep we're in it for the long haul i mean one of the one of the problems with investigative journalism historically has been that you know investigative reporters put out a big Big investigation, it gets lots of attention. There are promises of reform and changes and we'll do better now, that kind of thing. And then the investigative reporters go away because and, and and do something else, do a completely different kind of, you know, tackle a different subject. And then they come back a year or two or five years later and say, Oh yeah, all those promises have changed. Nothing's really changed. So part of the thing about bringing change is as we talked about earlier, it's it's got it, you you gotta just keep it, you gotta keep going on it, you gotta ride it, ride it. And I say, Jay, it can continue putting out stories. We're going to continue doing follow-up stories. We're going to do accountability stories. You know, what was promised? What happened with this investigation that was announced? All that kind of thing. Uh, where did the legislation go? Uh, does the re- legis- does the final you know rulemaking or or, or, or legislation uh, does it really live up to what was promised, or, or is it just sort of like a a, a window dressing kind of thing? And you know, th- 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 there's there's been lots of attention uh, for for Pandora paper- papers. It was on Sunday afternoon. It it got up to the number two trending topic on Twitter worldwide. We've we've again j- as with Panama Papers we've seen the the, the comedy lots of pl- lots of funny uh, hilarious and interesting political cartoons and just a lot of our our you know TV comedy folks are doing stuff uh, Colbert did a did a segment on on the Pandora Papers Monday and he said you know yes this this. Um, the Pandora Papers covers a, a you know a wide range of humanity from the impossibly wealthy all the way down to the ridiculously rich. <laughs> that is a pretty. Good <laughs> and, and he said, pretty said, which which brings me to the latest installment <laughs> of my long-running segment, rich people. They're not just like us. Us pay taxes. <laughs> so, you know that that kind of pop culture stuff is is important to kind of keep people's attention. And uh, but ultimately, you know, we need to keep uh, uh, doing journalism and, and also the rest of the journalism where you mentioned like, OK, The New York Times didn't really do anything uh, immediately, but they they they, they kind of had to had to had to, to acknowledge what was going on. So they've done something about it and CNN, you know, CNN, the uh, network news that there's been just you know a ton of coverage that's outside of the 150, 151 partners and and the and 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 the collaboration that that has really helped keep this thing going and uh you know we've got more more news more revelations to come and um um so it, it's a you know it's a balancing act between you know being skeptical and being hopeful i i i'm i'm, I'm a little bit on the hopeful side now i could i could turn to just more <laughs> skeptical uh as things unfold or as things don't unfold. But but right now I, I feel hopeful that there can be some change. And of course it's not, you know, this is not the end of it. There are going to be other things. There are going to be other leaks, maybe to other news organizations. There's going to be uh, other government investigations. There's going to be other scandals that pop up in, in various countries to kind of remind us that that, you know, that these problems are still there and they need to be addressed. So we'll see, it's, it, you know, the, the future is not written. Uh, There is an opportunity, an opening here to bring real change, but that ultimately depends on, A, I think, uh, the attention span of the media and and our audiences, and and B, on whether or not politicians or political actors around the world are really going to live up to their promises and, and do something and bring real change, not just sort of window dressing that sort of tweaks a little bit of, you know, tweaks around the edges, but doesn't really get at the, the real problems.
0: You were listing earlier the different countries where the Pandora Papers have already had an impact. One of the ones you didn't mention, but you mentioned your writing, obviously, is in Czechia in the uh, Czech Republic, ICIJ reports the Pandora Papers investigation lays bare the global entanglement of political power and secretive offshore finance. So, how often are those who are exposed through the Pandora Papers, those with political po- uh, power, and how destabilizing can these revelations be? After all, as the Washington Post reported on Monday, the Czech National Police announced that it will act upon the Pandora Papers as the revelations emerge as an election campaign issue in the country and a potential challenge for Czech Prime Minister Andrei Babiš, who is up for re-election this week. So. It was uh, how often are the are those who are exposed through the Pandora Papers those with political power? Does is that a distinction from the earlier Panama Papers?
2: Well, you, you know, we definitely had some 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 country leaders, big names in um, uh, the Panama Papers. I think there were a dozen uh, uh, current and former current or former world leaders. You know, prime ministers, presidents, etc um in the Panama papers, but you know the the Pandora papers it's 35 35 current and former world leaders, uh, including uh you know prime ministers and presidents around the world uh including the the, the king of Jordan um and overall uh more than 300 in the uh, 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 Pandora papers more than 330. A current and former pl- politicians and public officials, all of them high level. We're talking about, you know, presidents, prime ministers, but also, you know, cabinet members, uh, uh, ambassadors, et cetera, high level folks. Who have been exposed, and you know we don't know what's going to happen with that, but it it's it's interesting to see. You know, with the Panama Papers, you know, two prime ministers lost their jobs. Iceland, you know, <laughs> one of the reactions to, to the Panama Papers is is people took to the streets in Iceland. They were throwing uh, bananas and cultured yogurt at the parliament building. In Pakistan, the, the folks in the streets were throwing rocks. Uh, Iceland's prime minister uh, very quickly who, who got kind of got caught. One of the, his problems was he got caught in kind of a deer in the headlights moment of a, in a video interview when it was revealed, you know, he was talking about how he doesn't do offshore. And then he was asked, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, what about this company that you and your wife own, Ventress? Uh And he, you know, got his, his eyes got wide and he eventually, you know, walked out of the interview. And so he he resigned, I think, within just two or three days. Uh, and by the way, there was a. I think there was an ice in 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 honor of the of the Panama Papers. There was one of the local uh, uh, ice cream parlors in in Iceland uh, had a had a flavor that they named a winterous after after the company. And in Pakistan, it was very interesting that it started an investigation that took you know like more than a year, went on a long time, that eventually led to uh, Pakistan's Supreme Court removing uh the the country's longest serving prime minister so there were two prime ministers who lost their jobs as a result of forced out of office as a result of Panama papers we don't know what's going to happen with the uh with the pandora papers but um you know we're just going to keep you know we're going to keep reporting and i I think it's it's kind of like a stay tuned thing
0: Uh, Well, on the Czech case, ICIJ reports that among the hidden treasures revealed in the documents of the prime ministers is a $22 million chateau in the French Riviera replete with a cinema and two swimming pools purchased through offshore companies by the Czech Republic's populist prime minister, a billionaire who has railed against the corruption of economic and political elites within these Pandora papers. How often has that been the case, whether it it was Panama or Pandora, that populists who claimed they were running against corruption within the political elite were actually using tax havens themselves.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty frequent. Um, um, You know, for instance, uh, Tony Blair, who, when he was running for leadership of the uh, of the labor party in, in, in the nineties, you know, getting sort of get, you know, getting, getting started, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, he was railing against offshore, but we were able to show that he and his wife bought a, a big property in um, uh, in London for $8.8 million, a big Victorian building. And they bought it not directly, but they bought it by buying an offshore company that belonged to the family of uh, Bahrain's industry and tourism minister. And by doing that, you know, they saved $400,000 in property taxes. Um, so it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. So they benefited from this sort of legal, and now it wasn't illegal. There was actually, there's a loophole in the law that allows you to, you know, if you buy a company that owns a piece of real estate, you don't have to pay pay property taxes. If you buy the real estate directly, you have to pay property taxes. and and. You know in london um but it's it's still interesting to see you know they said it's all in the you know it's all in the up up and up uh blair's uh tony blair's wife a uh, uh, cherry said well my husband really wasn't involved in this and we just were you know we didn't want to have to buy the company but we wanted the building so we did it but it's interesting you know the the, the director of tax justice uh uk said you know there are loopholes that are ava- these are loopholes that are available to wealthy people but not to others Politici- politicians need to f- Fix the tax system so that everybody pays their fair share.
0: And so that's the real solution to this, is fixing the tax system. You also write that, or I'm uh, sorry, I wanted to point out something that somebody else wrote. Open Democracy's main site editor, Adam Ramsey, writes, perhaps more than anything else, the Pandora Papers tell a story about Britain. There's the role, for instance, played by the British Virgin Islands and overseas territory of the UK that functions as a tax haven. The Czech Republic's multimillionaire prime minister used the uh, territory to hide his ownership of a chateau in France. Others including the family of Kenyan president Uhuru Kenyatta and Vladimir Putin's PR man have made similar use of the islands to conceal wealth. And as you pointed out, while Tony and Sherry Blair reportedly saved 312,000 pounds in stamp duty when they bought a London property from a company, registered. registered in the British Virgin Islands in 2017. Then there's uh, London itself. The leaked documents show how the King of Jordan squirreled personal cash away in the capital's property market, as did key allies of Imran Khan, Pakistan's president. More details will emerge in the coming days, but one thing is already clear. This isn't a story about countries on the periphery of the world economy. It is a story about how the British state drives a global system in which the richest extract wealth from the rest. Is Britain the geographical center of the story when it comes to tax havens as well as the tax haven of the square mile within london known as the city of london
2: it it is one of the geographical centers uh, the, the others include the united states and you know some you know some someone uh, cleverer than me once said uh, yes you know the biggest tax haven in the world is an island it's either great britain or Manhattan. Because again, like, like yes, you know, these, uh, you know, places like the British Virgin Islands, these, you know, in popular imagination, you say tax haven, offshore, you think of Palm Fringe beaches and, you know, hear a little calypso music playing in the background and in your head, et cetera. But the truth is that they're, they're important cogs, you know, the Cayman Islands, uh, Belize, places like that are important parts of the offshore system, but still the key hubs, the key centers are big financial centers like uh, New York, London, because um, uh, you know that you know that's where the money is going. It's going through them and, and into them, uh, and and you know these these smaller offshore havens are just sort of tools that are used to sort of move money around and kind of like they're the fake mustache that you put on your money to you know to move it around so it so it doesn't doesn't attract attention or so that you're not even you know actually connected to it um so and, and then the other thing you know and the other thing that's interesting is the US plays this role and they have sort of played a, ro- a bit of a role as the of the global global policemen, you know they've gone after Swiss banks that were holding, you know, secret money from U.S. taxpayers. They threatened them with, you know, cutting, you know, basically cutting Swiss banks off from from the global financial system, if they didn't, you know, reveal who their who their American customers were. Uh, so the U.S. has been aggressive, and then you know the U.S. has criticized the the island havens, the the British Virgin Islands, et cetera. But what's interesting is is the U.S is is also a tax haven not just through new york not just through, through new york banking system but also through new york real estate miami real estate it's also the us is also an offshore haven through more than a dozen us states that have essentially turned you know i mentioned this about south dakota at the top of the show that have essentially turned themselves into earn, internal tax havens which can be used by people in other states in the us but also used by people in other countries so you know in south dakota you know, you can buy a trust, which is not quite like a company. Uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a legal arrangement and that in some cases allows its beneficiaries. And you don't say, you know, it, it's sort of, it's a way of distancing yourself from your money while still having it. Because what it does is it, it, it can, if it's written properly properly or perhaps we should say improperly, it allows its beneficiaries to control their money while embracing the legal fiction that they don't control it. And that's a bit of, you know, sort of paper shuffling creativity that helps shield assets from creditors, law enforcement, tax collectors, and even ex-spouses who are looking, you know, for, for, you know, for, for uh, uh, money they're owed or even children, uh, you, know, are, you know, representatives of children who are trying to get child support that hasn't been paid. So
0: and you, uh, ICIJ reports on South Dakota being a tax haven, more than $13 million tucked in a secrecy shaded trust in the Great Plains of the United States it is held by a scion of one of Guatemala's most powerful families, a dynasty that controls a soap and lipsticks conglomerate that's been accused of harming workers and the planet Earth. So, uh, and you, and it seems like when I'm looking through the Pan, uh, Pandora papers, what little I have been able to so far is that a lot of times mentioned in the in the papers are businessmen turned conservative politicians who then use uh, say that they are against the political elites and then they use the exact same tools of the political elites to hide their tax money as well. So, our businessmen turned conservative politicians here in the states creating tax havens, even potentially illegal tax havens, for businessmen turned conservative politicians
2: around the world, especially those from Latin America? Mm. That's a good question. I, I mean, I, I, I think it, it's yes that, that 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 has happened to some degree and perhaps to a large degree. I don't know if we say that that's exclusively who's doing it, but yeah, that that is happening. We're seeing uh, a lot of uh, politicians around the world, and including some sort of Trump-like sort of, populist conservatives who are using, you know, using this all, all, offshore system. Um, so why allow your state to become a tax haven? How does that help the people or the state? Well, it's always about academic development and that's the pattern that has happened around the world going back decades. And, you know, some, some uh, tax lawyers, accountants, et cetera, basically reach out to uh, the cook islands or the british virgin islands or or more recently south dakota nevada and say you know you've got trouble in river city you know you've got problems you know your your economies you know if you could turn yourself into a a financial center a financial uh hub um you you know it's going to be great for your economy it's going to do all this and, you know what we've looked at it most of the time around the world is is and, and i think this this is probably true in south dakota too is the people who are making money off this are a small professional you know sort of lawyers accountants money managers who may or may not even be located in the jurisdiction but you know it's, it's a lot you know it's a lot of like you look at like places like the cook islands it's a lot of like expatriate like australian attorneys uh, American attorneys, U.K. attorneys uh, and, and, and accountants, you know, they're making the money and, and, and you know, the money is not filtering out to, to average people. And, you know, I think there's some 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 fees that the that the that the state of South Carolina, South Dakota collect, for instance, but it's not that big. And it's not like the game changer. The only game changer it is is really for the people who use the system, use the offshore. It gives them more options, because you know, offshore secrecy, offshore protection is a product that's bought and sold. Uh, the more you want, uh, you know, the more you pay for. Um, and so, and, and, and having this, this sort of menu, you know, you, you, can, you can choose so much, so many different ways to, to sort, of, sort of hide your money, uh, tuck your money away somewhere, that it's really hard for authorities to track that, you know, track it down. And you know, the other thing is that the offshore operatives, they work together, they don't work in isolation. They partner with other secret, secrecy providers around the globe, and they create these like interlocking layers of companies in trust the more complex the arrangements, the higher the fees, and the more secrecy and protection that, that these wealthy clients can expect.
0: ICIJ also reports that in December 2018, the Bahamas enacted legislation requiring companies and certain trusts to declare their real owners to a government registry. The island nation was under pressure from larger countries, including the United States, to do more to block tax dodgers and criminals from the financial system. Some Bahamian politicians opposed the move. They complained the register would discourage Latin American clients from doing business in the Caribbean. One local attorney said the winners of these new double standards are the U.S. states of Delaware... Alaska, and South Dakota. ICIJ adds months later, a confidential document indicated that the family of the Dominican Republic's former Vice President Carlos Morelos Troncoso had abandoned the Bahamas as a go-to sanctuary for their wealth, for their new refuge. They chose a place 1,600 miles away, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So was the intent of cracking down on truly offshore tax havens like the Bahamas to have tax havens open up here in the United States? Was this all all this anti-tax haven talk by politicians not about ending tax havens but about having the
2: u.s financial system control those tax havens it you know it it's it's hard to say i i I don't like to go into intent because we you know we can't always get into people's heads but clearly what what the u.s has done in terms of cracking down on on the offshore system has generally benefited has been a benefit to the US certainly in, the, in in the sense of yes they collect more tax dollars now but the US is less interested you know the, the US now for you know through a rule which which essentially threatens will cut you off from the global financial system if you don't share uh, the account information about American citizens around the world, so banks around the world, countries around the world have to share this information with the U.S. automatically. Not, they don't have to go through any legal process like a subpoena or a request for documents through, through you know, through a judge, you know, from that that kind of thing. Uh, but on the other hand, there's a similar uh, system that's been set up that more than a hundred countries have joined, which would you know does the same thing. It's automatic sharing about account information with with you know legitimate tax authorities around the world. The U.S. has refused to to do to join that. So what that means is that the U.S. is saying you give us all your information about Americans and and uh, uh, who have bank accounts in Switzerland or Ireland or wherever you have to do that. But we're not going to necessarily give you information about uh, 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 Swedes or (laughs) Are Ukrainians or Bolivians who have money in the U.S. in bank accounts, uh, investment accounts, you know, brokerage accounts, that kind of thing. So the U.S. is sort of uh, uh, has set itself up for whatever. I don't know what the intent is, but it's set itself up so that it can be. As it has been for decades, really, it can be uh, an offshore haven for the rest of the world. It, and the U.S. has just legendarily been going back decades. You know, wealthy Latin American folks have long come to the U.S. You know, move their money into New York banks and other banks that have kept, you know, you know, kept their their holdings in the U.S. secret for them. And now, now they're doing it in addition with banks. They're doing it with trusts. So, whatever the intent, it's clear that, that a lot of this benefits the the, the sort of part of the offshore secrecy industry that operates in the U.S. There have been some legislation passed. It's now harder. Uh, there's a bill that was passed uh, end of last year, and re- partly in reaction to the Panama Papers, uh, partly in reaction to the FinCEN files, that now makes requires that most companies, vast majority of companies, and that are, that are Incorporate in the U.S. in any state, uh, you know, report who their true owner, the real owner is. Um, but there are enough loopholes in that, and of course, it doesn't. It, it looks like the legislation won't cover, and the rules that coming out of the legislation won't cover the the kind of offshore trusts that uh, foreign uh, uh, wealthy wealthy people from from outside the U.S. Uh, like to use in the U.S. You know, the the South Dakota trust and trust in other states.
0: So the United States seems to be the money launderer of the world. We seem to be willing to be the tax haven for the world. How uh, aware is the world of those kind of qualities that the United States have? Does that turn us from a beacon of democracy into a beacon of corruption?
2: Um, it turns us into a little of both. Like I said, the U.S. has done some things to 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 crack down, pass some legislation. But just because of all the loopholes and the, diff, you know, and, and and really just just the ability of the of the industry to sort of morph, and and innovate, uh, the U.S. remains uh, a very mixed bag. Uh, they're doing some things that are that that are helping rein in the worst practices, but they're doing a lot of things that encourage the, you know, that that allow the worst practices to continue, and and allow people, you know, companies. Uh, providers, lawyers, accountants, real estate agents, et cetera, in the U.S. sort of profit from the, the 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 movement of dirty money, illicit illicit capital moving around the world, and and often coming, you know, like a magnet to the U.S. So, to what degree can we achieve
0: fairness and equality globally? By closing tax havens for the wealthy, is the is the answer a worldwide prohibition on holding assets offshore or using shell companies to do business across national borders? Do we have to have a prohibition in order to
2: reform the system? Um, that's that's a good question. I would have to spend time sort of picking that apart and thinking exact. You know, your exact phrasing, I don't know, but definitely uh, stronger rules about. Uh, whether or not banks and other sort of financial providers, including and then also people who who are part of the system like accountants and lawyers, stronger rules about whether or not they're going to check the money that that they that their clients are moving around to make sure that it's legitimate money, make sure that it's not you know it's not secret money, it's not dirty money, it's not the you know it's not the the proceeds of Ponzi schemes, it's not money that's been looted from say government programs in Venezuela or whatever, um, so. I, I, I mean, the key is part one of the keys and there, you know, it, it has to be it, it's, it's a really complex entrenched global system. So it's not like one silver bullet, bullet solution, but uh, definitely uh, th- there needs to be aggressive changes there, you know, continue to be tough on individual jurisdictions, whether it's a state or a nation or, you know, ter- like a territory, like a British Overseas Territory. That, that are involved in this and and making it clear that if they don't do their job, of of making sure there's real transparency about who owns what companies, who controls what money as it moves around, as it goes in and out of banks, um, if you're not doing that, then we're going to suspend you, or or uh, or completely stop you from using uh, the U.S. financial system, which is you know the a key cog in the um, uh, and the global financial system, and, and and I think the same same has to apply to London because if you know the U.S. could get really tough and make some changes, but then if if the big London banks are continuing to do this through uh, through the U.K., then that's another problem. You know, so it, it has to be a global solution. But definitely, there's some big players like the U.K., the U.S. Uh, that um, need to step up and also need to have pressure on them. You know, th- this is sort of framing of the problem oh look it's these bad bad you know uh uh islands you know they're the ones that are doing this no it's it's all of us the the offshore system america is offshore to a lot of other you know literally to a lot of other places there are oceans in between us etc you know uh, but but the offshore system is everywhere. It's not just in the Cayman Islands. It's not just in Belize. It's not just in Switzerland. It's it's the whole world. The whole world is is, is, is part of this. And the big company, the big countries have the ability to bring change. Uh, and they've done some things, but the steps have been tentative. They've often been sort of more or less window dressing. There've been a lot of paper shuffling. But to bring real change, you know. Everybody has to, you know, there has to be accountability for everyone who's part of the system. But, you know, the first step, I think, is to have real accountability for the U.S. and the U.K., which play, play very important roles in the, in the system. Without them, the system maybe wouldn't cease to operate, but it would, you know, it, the volume of, 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 uh, of, of dirty money, the amount of dirty money that's being moved around the world, sort of unchecked, would, would dramatically change if the. US and the UK stepped up forced banks, real estate you know real estate agents uh, lawyers accountants all these other players in the system force them to truly live by the rules in the spirit of anti-money laundering let's stop this money let you know let, let's not move this money let's expose you know let's expose who owns the money let's 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 make sure that that is uh, uh,
0: transparent. Just two more questions for you, Mike. And that system that you were just talking about, it actually reaches back here to Chicago. ICIJ reports the reporting uh, how the uh, reporting reveals how the largest law firm in the United States, Baker McKenzie, helped create the modern offshore system and how another law firm, Alcogal in Panama, has played an outsized role in sustaining it. Baker McKenzie is a multinational law firm headquartered here in Chicago, and I've yet to see any. Report on local news, read any story on the Pandora Papers in a local paper or hear any coverage on local radio or see it on local TV news. So for those of you listening here in Chicago, a multinational law firm headquartered here helped create the modern offshore tax haven that now makes the rich more wealthy while contributing to even more suffering for the poor. Does that surprise you, Mike, that local news would not mention the fact that a local firm is in the heart, at the heart of the global scandal?
2: Um. Yeah, it's concerning. I mean, I think, and, and, and who knows, maybe, maybe the, the local media there are preparing stories that will come out. You know, it, it's not like that the story has to come out within 48 hours of, of, of our report. I mean, eventually things can be reported. And, and also, I mean, Baker's interesting. I mean, it's sort of headquartered in the, in Chicago, but it's also truly a global, they call themselves the original global law firm. They're, they're truly a global operation. So while I would love to see Chicago media take a look at this, take a look at Baker and its role in the offshore world, I think you know you should. The media around the world should think about the big elite firms, whether it's law firms or accounting firms, uh, elite banks, what their role is. And yeah, you know, with Baker, we know that Baker and its global affiliates have used their essentially lobbying, legislative drafting know-how to shape financial laws around the world. Uh, and, and then they, you know, they profit from work done. For you know, we, we've been able to document uh, examples of them profiting for work done for people tied to fraud and corruption, including the the, the you know doing work for the fugitive financier who's been accused in the uh, the so-called one MDB case, which is you know uh, this uh, they work for Jeholo, J- J- who was has been accused in multiple countries of masterminding the embezzlement of more than 4.5 billion dollars from a Malaysian economic development fund known as 1MDB. And we know that uh, the records sh- that we've looked at and and reviewed and studied it show that lower re- relied on banker McKinsey and its affiliates to help him and his associates build a web of countries, uh, I'm sorry, companies in Malaysia and Hong Kong and US authorities have alleged that they, that that uh, Lowe and his associates use some of those companies to shift, you know, to move money looted from one, one, the 1MDB development fund. One last question for you, Mike.
0: We've been speaking with Michael W. Hudson, author and Pulitzer Prize-sharing journalist and senior editor at the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, which this past weekend broke the Panama Papers story in a collaboration with hundreds of media outlets. Mike has appeared on This Is Hell several times in the past, and you can go search on his last name, Hudson, at our website, and you can find our interview that we did with him back in May of 2016 when we discussed the Panama Papers. Mike's the author of The Monster, How a gang of predatory lenders and Wall Street bankers fleeced America and spawned a global crisis. You can follow Mike on Twitter, at Michael W. Hudson, as we do with all of our guests, and you may or may not remember. Our final question is the question from hell, the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer, or our audience is going to hate your response. And Mike, I got to tell you that I hate asking this question to you, so (laughs) here's my question from hell. Mike, is this a class war?
2: uh briefly um I don't know if I'd use the word war but I'd say you're generally right it is th- th- this this is a class conflict this is about um how the rules for the 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 mega wealthy how they basically are able to set their own rules with the help of this sort of global industry of bankers and fixers and accountants and it's about the fact that that, that average folks are paying their taxes and and you know supporting you know, you know, the public good and there, you know, the evidence from, from our work and from the work of lots of other folks, uh, you know, investigative reporters and activists show that uh, uh, the mega wealthy, the mega powerful are, uh, you know, they live in they live in a completely different world. And uh, they're they generally are doing what they want to do when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And, do it. and um, little has been done to, to change the system.
0: Mike, I cannot thank you enough for being back on our show and and just again, I just want to thank you for know, like 15 years of supporting us. I really appreciate everything that you've done for us and appreciate the great work that you're doing at ICIJ. Thank you so much for being back on our show and you know we're going to be
2: bugging you for as long as you're around. Uh, same here, Chuck. I really appreciate what you've done done for me and giving me an opportunity to talk my talk and and help but uh, uh tell people about what 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 we're finding about what's going on in the world
0: always great to hear your voice sir take care thanks this is not the media this is hell if this was the media you would not have heard the conversation that you just heard us have with michael hudson on the pandora papers and if you enjoyed that conversation or maybe change that a little bit maybe if that conversation made you mad or sad or gave you anxiety or in some way Educated you to the point that you have Realized that yes this really is hell Show your support by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com Slash this is hell where you get A weekly bonus Friday Podcast on Patreon that includes a new monologue For me as well as an Archived interview that is Not available anywhere else Online Richard please remind us what is This week's question from hell and you can can you tell Us how our
1: listeners are responding Thus far this week's question from hell is What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres <laughs> of U.S. farmland?
0: Uh, I assume there's going to be a whole bunch more growing weed responses. <laughs> I can only
1: assume. David A. answers Start mass cultivation of Jeff uh, Epp <laughs> variety of Soylent Green.
0: Oh, nice. Soylent Green of Jeffrey Epstein? That's gross. That's gross.
1: Will I answers, terraform the Earth during the impending climate apocalypse.
0: (laughs) Okay, that makes sense, actually. Jeff
1: C answers, put up a billboard that proclaims Bill Gates is a genius and a really good guy. You
0: don't have to do that. You just turn on CNN. They say that every freaking day.
1: (laughs) What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? Andrew S., Mega St. James. Yeah, I don't get that. I I didn't look it up. Maybe like a big church? Giant, yeah. (laughs) I guess Mm. giant cross in the middle of stands for Texas. Chad M. answers hoard it. (laughs) Ron E answers. Gonna continue his friend's work. Epstein's inland. (laughs) Jeez. (sighs) David S. His answer is, claim that he owns the intellectual property rights to agriculture, (laughs) which makes him the rightful owner of the entire world's food (laughs) supply.
0: (laughs) I'm waiting for that.
1: Answers, jumpstart the next Dust (laughs) Bowl. What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? Jeff G. says, he is moving to Montana soon. (laughs) Gonna be a dental floss tycoon. Ah, jeez. Neil C., Twister. (laughs) Jamie K. answers, no points for guessing genetically modified soybeans. Just don't talk about the microchips. (laughs) And Jamie, again, thanks for suggesting Max Haven a few weeks ago. Clarence S., his answer is Massage Camp. For teenage girls, <laughs> Jesus. And Sloan L answers that ass. <laughs> what the hell? I don't even know what that one is. Yeah, don't know. Uh, we have a few more, but do you want to? Not save them for
0: later. Yes. Keeping it real, real deep in debt since 1996. This is hell. If you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can subscribe to Patreon Fre- Fridays Patreon podcast at Patreon.com/slash This Is Hell on Patreon this week it's this week in hell our semi-regular segment on patreon when i look back at that week's on air conversations and tell you what i got out of them and what i left out of them there's always information the guest conveys in their work that despite the interview being about 45 minutes long on our show we uh just don't have the time to get to everything there are also unanswered questions that i never got around to asking in the first place but it's impossible to predict in what direction a conversation will go so you never know sometimes good questions just fall by the wayside so this friday on patreon I'll offer by take on this week's topics from our conversation with Sylvia Kay and Hamza Hamushan on food sovereignty, yesterday's discussion with Stellan Hagen on occupied autonomous zones outside of capitalism, and today's talk with Mike Hudson on the institutionalized unfairness of the global finance system. And we'll also be sharing a 2012 interview we did with today's guest, Mike Hudson, when he was on back then to talk about his then-just-published book, The Monster, How a G- Gang of Predatory Lenders and Wall Street Bankers Fleeced America and Spawned a Global Crisis which not only explains exactly how lenders and banks ripped off the public leading to the Great Recession, but does that in a way that's understandable, that actually makes sense. So if you want to know how and why the great financial collapse of 2008 happened, you know, the collapse we are still suffering from today, subscribe to our weekly bonus Friday Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash thisishell. And with your subscription, you also get a discount on all of our merchandise that you can find at thisishell.com. When you click on support, Live from Hangover Country, this is hell. And Richard, I know you have Hefe on the line.
2: One, two, you know what to do. Next. One more time. moment of truth.
3: moment of truth. moment of truth. moment of truth. Missing white woman syndrome, derangement syndrome. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. So, like an idiot, I listened to a couple episodes of a podcast called The Sauce. I'd heard an episode about Catholicism with performer Julia Sweeney that I'd liked. The Sauce is two middle-class white women complaining about what bothers them while getting uninterestingly drunk. They really get furious about bros and how the bros made Hillary lose. They also hate the limited series The Queen's Gambit. I'm sure they have many glib reasons why. I'm not in love with the show, but what I really don't like is Searching for Bobby Fisher, which is a chess movie without any chess in it. The key stupid advice Ben Kingsley gives his little schmuck protégé is to clear the board in his mind. So in his mind, he sweeps all the pieces off the board, leaving an empty board, which somehow gives him insight about the configuration of pieces on the board. The Queen's Gambit may have ruined the Walter Tevis novel by casting Anya Taylor-Joy and her ravishing T&A in the role of a character Tevis specifically describes as not in any way traditionally attractive in the cheesecake sense. Her attractiveness to the men who fell hard for her came specifically from her power, intellect, and mastery. But you know what the Queen's Gambit had, that Looking for Bobby Fischer didn't have besides a good story? Chess. Chess moves, advice about chess, chess game tension, allusions to classical championship chess games of legend, no fake Zen garbage about imagining an empty board, which would in no way help you to do anything other than polish the board. I wonder if these juiced-up henhouse rejects would have preferred it if the lead character of the Queen's Gambit had cleaned chessboards for a living. But the other day took the cake, the proverbial cake, the flowerless chocolate cake, took it and ate it and still wanted to have it too, and let the people eat it. The title of the most recent episode is this: Missing White Women and Online Detectives. The blurb reads. What else is missing in the public conversation about Gabby Petito? Oh, you mean besides non white or non female abducted and otherwise missing persons? But no, because the people of color and the binary are already taking care of that. So, our two pale hosts, one of them who sports the handle, I kid you not, gyno star. Anyway, Gino star and her gyno co star are free to soak in a strange confluence between histories of imperiled white women, the recent rise of true crime media, and vigilante ambitions of online amateur sleuths. All the ingredients guaranteed to titillate the Gen X Chardonnay-soaked podcast addict. Because everyone else in the world, and the juicers do say this, is wondering why so much fuss about one missing white woman when Uh, People of other descriptions go missing all the time without an inundation of coverage. So these two drunkards have decided to provide us with all the ways the missing white woman syndrome negatively affects white women. And let me tell you, it is a lot. It goes to the very foundation of what they could have identified as American capitalism, but instead is something else they've discovered. Something much worse. Something with themselves in the spotlight. While the entire world of social critique is complaining about white women being given an outsized media spotlight, these soused turd burgers take an entirely different tack and blaze a heretofore undiscovered trail to themselves. So I wrote them a little note. Short-time listener, first-time complainer, it was... Utterly stunning to listen to you spend your entire episode centering your cleverness and depth of understanding of missing white woman syndrome and its buttressing of the power structure from such a blinkered point of view. For example, you talked about the white woman being an appendage that propped up the old South patriarchy without evincing the slightest clue that the stolen labor, stolen bodies, oppression and murder of black and indigenous men and women, and to a lesser extent, poor white men and women, yes, I heard you say control of black bodies once, were absolutely key to propping up that power structure. You couldn't more accurately have duplicated the society's hyper fixation on the drama of the imperiled white damsel to the exclusion of any other possible plot of the movie of your concerns. You mocked those who couldn't imagine any other plot driver while dwelling on nothing else, ignoring kidnapped non-white people, which was supposedly part of the problem you were addressing in the first place. It was gruesomely comical to hear you smugly bemoaning the ha stories white people like to tell themselves, while oblivious that, from your perch of class privilege, you were caressing the contours of a story about oppression of white women over and over that you dearly loved retelling yourselves. You didn't say the name of one single non-white person, incidentally. Not one. You catalogued a healthy number of white women, though. Go back and listen. The Scottsboro Boys, the Central Park Five, Emmett Till all abused or killed by the power structure under the blanket excuse of protecting white female chastity or virtue were relevant to your topic, weren't they? At least early on when black people seemed to appear for a fleeting instant in your provincial vision. Lynching? Huh? Online vigilantes might have evoked real-life lynchings and less obsessed guzzlers of the zeitgeist. Or maybe you could have named an example of the numerous missing black and indigenous women you gave a brief no name check too, or perhaps the lack of coverage of Jelani Day's disappearance could have crossed your minds as an illustration. You rightly equate missing white woman syndrome with violence against white women. Imagine then what your narcissistic exercise equates for everyone who didn't appear in your overworked scenario. Missing white woman syndrome is alive and well among the amateur critiquing class. I get it, I'm a podcast blowhard too though not as drunk as you two, my main lane on the intersectional Dr. Seuss highway tangle of social ills is economic class status blindness and the violence to the earth and all its inhabitants issuing therefrom. Intersectionality, as you may have heard, is the study of loci where different group and individual oppressions intersect in order to elucidate a more Not a less complex understanding of how power exploits and abuses. Misogyny is undeniably part of that, but is clearly your favorite oppression. To the detriment of yourselves and everyone else. God forbid you should look beyond the scope of your unassailable correctness. Listen, listeners. I've heard the Chapo boys figuratively jerk themselves on the air, but these thirsty birds totally gave them a run for their money. I consider myself someone who's not easily shocked, but pretends to be for effect. But this is the first two-woman circle jerk I've ever heard of. These white women complained for an entire hour and eight minutes about hyperfocus on white women by hyperfocusing on white women. Even I, the pioneer who white-splained the Rachel Dolezal fiasco, and juice-blame the kerfuffle at the dyke march must bow to the cluelessness of this pair, and at least I'm aware of when I'm stomping around on territory more appropriately explored by others. Should I send my note? I honestly don't think it will enlighten them. If you have any suggestions or additions, please let me know at my Twitter account, at J. or some other way you're used to telling me things. If you have some funny insults, they may be included in my likely unsent missive or they may just make me chuckle or i might steal them for the stand-up career i'll be starting in my 70s this has been the moment of truth good day
0: we got it like a minute or two how have you been sir
3: i've been good how about you
0: good enough except for my stomach blowing up last week outside of that i'm doing
3: pretty fine so sorry about that. Oh, my God. Uh,
0: it's, it's really unbelievably painful. What
3: do you think of Clarence Song? Clarence Song gave some uh, advice on Facebook the other day about how every couple of years, a guy should eat a dinner of Doritos.
0: <laughs> That's some pretty good <laughs> advice from a very intelligent man who used to be a correspondent on our show.
3: Yes, he was. And he's, a, he's a, just an excellent fellow and a brilliant artist and uh brilliant just about everything he does
0: seems like uh his head's getting so big right now he can't leave his house so let's let it stop there okay (laughs) jeffy yes stay beautiful oh okay live from land stolen from the potawatomi people this is hell richard please remind us what is this week's question from al and tell us how the tell us the rest of the answers to this week's question from Al from our listening audience
1: Yes, yeah, so this week's question from hell is, what is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? My answer is, Bill Gates is going to go all in on D's nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it wasn't. at least it wasn't in, on your mom. That's a good thing.
0: Anything else? Yes.
1: T- Tynan... S answers: Open thousands of factory farms and overuse bi- antibiotics, allowing drug-resistant pathogens to circulate them and migrate to humans, ultimately unleashing a horrifying new bio plague upon the world. But thank God, the Gates Foundation will know how to stop it. <laughs> That's a little bit too spot on there. <laughs> Julius answers: Feed the world. Obviously, my mother keeps telling me. What a wonderful philanthropist he is. No, that's great. He's really a philanthropist. Chris F. answers, roll up his sleeves and get down and dirty. (laughs) What is Bill Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland? Hypocrite reader answers, solve the world, solve, sorry, solve world hunger. Unrelatedly, who on earth told you that Solient Green was made out of people? (laughs) One last answer. Don L. answers, one, should we care? Two, has anybody asked him?
0: (laughs) That's a good point. Okay, uh, there are so many that I really liked. I like Wojciech's Jumpstart, The Next Dust Bowl. David saying, uh, claim that he owns the intellectual property rights to agriculture, which makes him the rightful owner of the entire world's food supply. Chad saying, hoard it. Aaron saying, have sex with hundreds of cows. That was a good one. Charles, uh, answer of Chicken Hawk Farm. Bradley saying... He's going to make the biggest and worst crop circles the world has ever seen, which is really great. But I got to go with Tynan. Open thousands of factory farms and overuse antibiotics, allowing drug-resistant pathogens to circulate and migrate to humans, ultimately unleashing a horrifying new bioplague upon the world. But thank God the Gates Foundation will know how to stop it. That's this week's winner, the, uh, the question from hell. Tynan, I believe you've won in the past, actually this year. So just send us your mailing address and tell us what piece of This Is Hell merchandise you would like to have. And everybody can see all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. My answer to this week's question from hell is, what's Bill Gate? Gates going to do with 269,000 acres of U.S. farmland he's going to plant trees lots and lots of trees next he will cut those trees down to manufacture canes he will then sit in a folding chair with his favorite cane and shake it at kids who he insists must get off his lawn thanks to everyone for sending in your answers to this week's question from Al do we know who is going to be on next week's shows Richard
1: yes we do (laughs) I was not prepared for that that's okay Um, I like my cane-shaking answer Nice (laughs) Thank you Yes, here we go Monday, we have Kay Whitlock and Nancy Heitzig on their book Carceral Con, The Deceptive Terrain of Criminal Justice Reform Yeah,
0: who knew the whole thing was a con game Uh, We were supposed to have them on last week when I was six So we're really looking forward to have them on next Monday
1: we don't have anything else lined up.
0: That's it, and Jeffy, of course, That's on Wednesday. It. This week's Hangover Cure is something called the Hangover Stack that you can get at a restaurant in Dublin, but who knows if it actually works. Thanks to this week's guests, including Sylvia Kay and Hamza Hamushan, who were on to talk about the report towards a just recovery from the COVID-19 crisis, the urgent struggle for food sovereignty in North Africa. Thanks to Stellen Vintagen, co-author of the Roar magazine article, The Zad Between Utopian Radicalism and Negotiated Pragmatism. And thanks to today's guests, author and Pulitzer Shared. Sharing journalist Michael W. Hudson, senior editor at the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, which broke the Panama Pandora Papers story, as well as the. Panama Papers story in the past. Thanks to Alexander Jerry for producing this week. Thanks to Richard Norwood for running the board and to Jess Lipka and Egon Sheely for uh, running the board as well earlier this week. Thanks to Jeff Dorchin for another moment of truth and Ronaldo Magaldi for this week in Rotten History. Special thanks to Theron Humiston just because. Talk to you tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but Friday on Patreon at patreon.com slash hell. When it's when it's what I got from this week's show during a segment we called This Week in Hell, and we're also sharing a twenty twelve interview with today's guest, Mike Hudson on his book on the 2008 financial crisis, The Monster. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-tooth radio show podcast live streaming host, Chuck Mertz. There's only one way to get over all of the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's set of shows. It's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead and saying the simple words,
3: everybody's stupid. My demon is on my butt. <laughs> uh, my demon talks to me in profanity like a seller.